Welcome to another episode of Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. My name is Shani Moore, and I am Director of Research at UN Watch. Today I'm joined by Executive Director Hillel Neuer to discuss the ongoing efforts at the United Nations to silence and censor the work of UN Watch. Today we're actually going to talk about ourselves a little bit because it would seem that uh, the United Nations and in particular the Human Rights Council uh, seem to have a real problem with this organization and are making great efforts to uh, shut down our presence um, at the Human Rights Council and uh, block as much as possible our participation in uh, their events. They seem particularly obsessed uh, with you uh, even more than the, the organization itself. So many people have seen a few of the the viral videos uh, of, of you at the Human Rights Council um, making some very pointed criticism about the organization's work. How do you become an NGO that's recognized there and that gets speaking slots? Right. So the United Nations is primarily a club of countries, governments, and it is an exception and you could say an anomaly that a human rights group would be able to participate and speak in an assembly of nations that I get to speak or that we get to invite victims and dissidents and former political prisoners to speak in the same room with the ambassadors. And it is, even in the UN system, what we are doing in Geneva at the Human Rights Council is kind of anomalous. If you go to the UN General Assembly, you will see ambassadors speaking. You'll see Linda Thomas-Greenfield from the United States. You'll see uh, Gilad Erdan from Israel and, you know, 191 other ambassadors. You will not see NGOs speak in the General Assembly. You'll certainly not see them speak in the Security Council. They have one sort of off-campus event called an ARIA Formula meeting where members of the Security Council meet informally and they could invite someone to brief them. But in terms of official meetings, NGOs cannot participate in New York in any significant way, but in Geneva, we do get to participate. So a non-governmental organization can speak basically as an observer. And as you asked, how do you get that status? It is granted by ECOSOC, which is a 54-nation organ of the UN called the Economic and Social Council. They have a committee of 19 governments called the Committee on NGOs. So a nonprofit organization based in America or Africa or Asia, anywhere in the world, can fill out some forms, confirm that they subscribe to UN principles, confirm that they're a non-governmental organization, a few other things, file an application. It goes first before the 19-member committee. Sadly, about 11 out of 19 members today are evil. We applied over 20 years ago in the year 2002. I believe the vote was 10 to 9 in our favor. Today, if there were the same vote, we would not get 10 votes. Does it need to be renewed? Well, once you're in you, you, yes, but the renewal is fairly automatic. Okay. It's fairly automatic. But it was a 10 to 9 vote, and then it was approved by ECOSOC. That's how we got the status, and therefore we can speak. It does get renewed every four years. To cancel the status of a organization is difficult, but it, it can be done. Certainly if you break a rule in a significant way, it can be invoked, and there would have to be votes in that committee and then votes by the ECOSOC, and it, it does happen from time to time. And so you, uh, now when the Human Rights Council has its uh, sessions, you have to basically join a kind of lottery to get a speaking slot there. Is that right? Well, not exactly. We, we have to register. And to register is basically a request to speak. Computer, 
And according to the UN, it goes by priority. So if there's in a session maybe 36 debates, you could list from 1 to 36 or 1 to 10, depending on how many you want to request. You can request the ones you like. You list them by priority. You definitely want to speak on Iran. You definitely want to speak on Syria, Venezuela, the Palestinian subject, whatever you want. You list your priorities, and they say first come, first serve. So combination, according to them, a computer algorithm of what priority you listed it, and whether you were before someone else determines if you get to speak. So there's, according to the rules, no space there for some kind of personal discretion of a UN bureaucrat or uh, That's right. uh, or, or pressure from a state government or, or other organization. Absolutely it's not. According to them, and they've insisted on it, it goes by the computer. Is 100% a mathematical formula. If I knew what the priority that each applicant gave, what number they gave for each topic, and how many signed up, I could myself in theory, replicate the the formula and come up with a list that should look like what the exact list that's there. Correct. Okay. But this wasn't happening in practice. No. Or you began to suspect this wasn't happening in practice. That's right. How did that come about? Well, I'd say, you know, I've been there now for over 19 years. And over the years, at various times, was first called the Human Rights Commission and the Human Rights Council. We would see that things looked fishy at various times. Now, we've gotten to speak many times, but at various points in different debates, I would know that I signed up and that I was one of the top people to speak, and then suddenly they wouldn't get to me because they only have limited time in each debate. They might have two hours of countries, and they say, well, we only have 15 minutes for NGOs. And there were times over the years when I knew that I ought to have spoken according to the rules, but we didn't speak, and I would sometimes go up to them and say, yeah, well, we needed to diversify it by different regions, and they would make up some frivolous thing. So it would happen from time to time. And, you know, being a group that's outspoken, critiquing the UN, calling out dictatorships in a very outspoken way, the ways that other people don't do necessarily at the UN, and speaking out against anti-Israel bias, which is quite rare. We knew that there were many reasons why UN officials might dislike us. And we said, okay, that's the price you pay. You put up with a certain level of discrimination. Things changed about three years ago. Uh, things changed, and we saw that in certain sessions we'd be completely eliminated from the speakers' oh, list. I want to get to that in a second. Uh, just uh, You raised something. You guys as an NGO are affiliated with a regional group? No. Or, they, okay. they, 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 we, we, we signed up. We didn't get to speak. And we said, well, what happened? Why didn't we speak? They said, oh, well, we gave it to someone else. We wanted to ensure some diversity on the list of speakers. And you already knew, not just because of the, the, the political differences, but even just from experience, you already knew about the hostility that you were facing there. For example, the video that well, many of you probably already seen where you're demonstrably not thanked for your contribution. I mean, yes. There was, there was sort of a built-in hostility to, to you and the work you were doing. That's right. But that was the first year of the Human Rights Council. That, mm-hmm. that, that speech was March 2007, which we called on YouTube the banned speech because I spoke. It was the first year of the council. It was a Mexican ambassador. was the first inaugural chair. He was enjoying all the honor that comes with being the inaugural chair of the Human Rights Council. His name is Luis Alfonso de Alba. He may now be ambassador somewhere in the Gulf, either in Qatar or the Emirates. He probably didn't like me from the beginning because we were critiquing the Human Rights Council. They had said they were going to rectify the defects of the commission, but they were all, you know, reinstituted. The agenda item against Israel came back, election of dictatorships came back, giving a free pass to dictatorships. We mentioned on a previous session there was a mandate on Cuba. That got eliminated. So many things at the very beginning of the Human Rights Council. In the first year of the Human Rights Council, they hadn't yet come up with their rules and regulations, but the Arab countries were hell-bent on holding emergency sessions and condemning Israel and creating commissions of inquiry. 
And that's all they did. So the first year of the council, June 2006, Gilad Shalit was kidnapped. Israel had a military operation to try and get him back. They condemned Israel, had an emergency session to condemn Israel, created a commission and actually never went anywhere. Second Lebanon War, August 2006, Commission of Inquiry Against Israel, emergency session. November 2006, uh, rockets are fired from Gaza. Israel fires back, kills innocent people in Beit Hanun, emergency session, Commission of Inquiry. The only country that was being condemned in the first year of the Human Rights Council was Israel. And we were calling that out. And then I gave my speech in March 2007 where I called this out and I invoked the memory of Eleanor Roosevelt and René Cassin, the founders of the Human Rights Commission. And the chairman got very incensed. And instead of thanking me, which parliamentary protocol requires, which he had thanked every other speaker, including Iran and Syria and then any other Holocaust denier, he said, you I will not thank. And if you ever give this speech again, I will delete it from the records. All right, so three years ago was a bit of a turning point. Yeah. Um, tell us when you, your suspicions turned into something more concrete. Yeah, so it's about three years ago. Certainly at the latest, June 2021, session of the council, we request to speak in 31 debates. And we know that we should win about 20 slots, okay, based on the way things were. And we saw that we got one. So you request 31 and you get one. And we saw that groups like Amnesty International that are very close with the UN, they have a revolving door, high UN officials go to work at Amnesty, Amnesty officials become the deputy high commissioner, the revolving door. And we saw that they were requesting 10, they were getting 10, they were getting either 100%, 90% of what they requested, we got one out of 31. So we knew that it was completely fishy and we didn't do anything public. You know, often we're accused of being undiplomatic, we were very diplomatic. We wrote a very polite letter saying, can you explain this? And they had no answer. The answer was, as you said before, it's strictly by the computer and priority and first come, first serve. It's all done by the computer. And yeah, are the requests actually public? They publish a list. At the beginning, they will publish a list. So it will be the debate on Syria. And they'll list 30 names of NGOs. And only the top 10 get to speak. Because each speech is one and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. They have 15 minutes. 10 NGOs get to speak. If you're number 11, with some exceptions, you could, but in general, you don't. It's the top 10. So if you're number 15, you don't get to speak. So they will publish the list of 1 to 30, 1 to 40, 1 to 15. And you will see everyone who requested, and you'll see who got in the top 10. And we could see that groups like Amnesty were always in the top 10. And in that case, in 30 out of 31 instances, we were not in the top 10. And that was clearly a manipulation, cheating. He doctored with the lists. He being who in this case? The chief of the secretariat. Been there for over 20 years. So he's from the old Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Council. His name is Eric Testounet. He's a French national. And he runs the entire operation of what happens behind the scenes at the Human Rights Council. And he runs things with the speaker's lists. How much of the permanent bureaucracy of the old commission was held over Entirely, entirely. It was in the same room. It's basically the same entity. The name changed. The name changed. Some of the rules changed. The composition changed. But in terms of the bureaucracy, we were meeting in the same room. It was the same bureaucrats. Yeah. So it, they evolved over time. People came and left. But but when the switch happened in you know it was the commission was put to sleep in around March 2006, and the new Human Rights Council rose in June 2006. It was the same people. So there was no reason to actually expect that there would be any, any improvement in any sense. I mean, that well, well, the, the, there was a new agenda was created, so we thought that, so that, we thought that would change. It, it didn't. It, it, the first year of the council, things were developing, and then in June 2007, so at the, after the first year, they kind of adopted their constitution, which was called the Institution Building Package, which laid down all the rules, and that had the agenda 
so that we brought back the agenda item. So we thought at the beginning maybe there'd be some changes. We thought there now there'd be more competitive elections. The membership might change. The membership is worse than ever. It's about two-thirds of the council are either full-on authoritarian regimes, dictatorships, or other forms of non-democracy. So that's the lowest it's ever been. So regarding Tistone himself, we later get some kind of confirmation. of. I mean, it's not just a suspicion that he's manipulating the speaker slots. We get a kind of confirmation from the inside that this is what's happening. Yeah, I, I actually got two independent confirmations. One was uh, emails. I was sent copies of internal emails from an anonymous source who clearly had access to them. So someone who on Tistune's team sent me certain emails which showed uh, very nasty things that Tistune was saying and doing against us. So I already knew something about the hostility. And then we had open testimony by someone named Emma Riley. She is a human rights lawyer from Northern Ireland who worked at the Human Rights Council Secretariat. She worked for Eric Tistunet. She was on the podium. So the chair sits at the podium, Eric Tistunet sitting next to him, handing him notes. You could see it all the time. And I would know, when I would speak, when the chairman condemned me, Eric Tistunet was handing him notes. Actually, in his memoir, the chairman says, refers to this episode, and he says how he was advised that he should disallow the speech from the beginning. And clearly it was from Eric Tistonet, right. but he said, no, no, he would let the speech go, but then he would give a, a reprimand. He thought he was being very generous that he let me speak, but then he gave a very harsh rebuke afterwards. A rebuke which does no credit to him. I mean, I don't know no. why he would even bring it up. Well, it's the first time any speech went viral of the Human Rights Council. I mean, that's why they hated me. And then, but he, looks, he comes off looking rather, I mean, obviously, I, you know, not the target audience, but he, he comes off looking rather ridiculous. Well, the, this, this speech, this is the first time a speech went viral. Yeah. It was seen uh, hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. This is 2007. There basically was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. It went viral. People would have to, would have to in the old days, people have to email each other. Did you see this video? Yeah. And they'd have to forward an email. So it went viral. It was seen everywhere. It, it, there were a dozen editorials. The Wall Street Journal did an editorial about it. Uh, newspapers in Australia, Canada. Yes, mostly conservative newspapers, but major newspapers uh, in the world. And it was seen hundreds of thousands of times. It came up at press conferences, and they were asked about it. And the UN was very embarrassed. From Emma Riley, we learn quite a bit more about Tistone, uh, not just his hostility to you and to United Nations Watch, his hostility to Israel, his hostility to Jews, and also his real kind of friendship, um, occasionally crossing some real red lines with some dictatorial regimes. Yes. You know, Emma Riley became a whistleblower. She was a human rights lawyer who worked for Eric Tistone. As I was saying before, it was Eric sits next to the chairman on the podium during the discussions, writes notes, tells the chair what to say, when to rebuke me, things like that. But next to him, basically, was Emma Riley, and her job was to manage NGOs. So she knew exactly how it worked with NGO lists and so forth. And the first reason that she became a whistleblower is she saw that Eric Tistone was ordering the handing over of names of dissidents to China. Ahead of a session, a month or two before a Human Rights Council session, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, their mission in Geneva, would send an email to the UN saying, have any of these 12 or 15 names, are any of them signed up to speak in the upcoming session? These would be names like Rabia Kadir, the most famous Uyghur activist, Dalkun Issa, another Uyghur activist, Yang Jianli, a Chinese human rights hero, former political prisoner, who's on our board, and other famous dissidents, Chinese, Uyghurs, Tibetans, and rather than answer what they should have answered, saying, go to hell, we're not going to tell you in advance, you'll find out at the session, because that information could put them at risk. They would say, oh yes, this person's coming, signed up by that group, this person's coming, and Emma Riley said, whoa, 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 red flag, red flag. 
by giving the names to China in advance, that allows them to pressure their families. Who these are dissidents who are abroad? They're in Europe. They live. They're exiles, but they can pressure their families back home. Can torture them. Can pressure them so that they won't testify or do other bad things to their family. She said, "Please." She had worked on Chinese human rights before. Um, she said, "You can't do this." And they wouldn't listen to her. They made her life miserable. There's a BBC documentary called "The Whistleblowers," shows how Eric Tistonet called the police on her. Really terrible things. Basically, made her life miserable and fired her. And he fantasized about calling the police on you too at some point, right? Yes. So actually, in the emails, so Emma Riley revealed a few things. First, she revealed that he hands the names over to China, and then he's close with dictatorships. That maybe how he survived went up the food chain for 25 years to be the most important person at the Human Rights Council. And he said, "We need we need good relations with China." So she revealed that, and she also revealed, and she testified about this, that he gave orders systematically. To remove our name from speakers' lists, put them down on the list so that we won't get to speak. When we do get interrupted, as we're often interrupted by the Cubans and the Chinese and the Pakistanis in the middle of our speech, she was supposed to click pause when when you get interrupted. So right. they so deal with the point of order、time. and then give you back your time. And he told her, when you and Watch speaks, don't click pause. He also told her, when you and Watch ever gives a speech about Jean Ziegler. He is a someone who was a UN Human Rights Council investigator for 20 years, and someone who created the Muammar Gaddafi Human Rights Prize. He received the Muammar Gaddafi Human Rights Prize. A friend of the Cubans, a friend of the Chavez regime. He was also a good friend of Eric Tistonet. They're friends in Geneva. They have lunch together. I saw them having lunch together. Jean Ziegler writes the intro to Eric Tistonet's book. When Jean Ziegler is honored, Eric Tistonet is paying tribute on the panel to Jean Ziegler. They're very good friends. We would give speeches calling out Jean Ziegler, UN Special Rapporteur on Food, calling out his abuses. And Eric Tistonet said, every time they give a speech, give it to Jean Ziegler in advance, allowing him to prepare. Eric Tistonet would create a rule. Give me UN Watch's speeches in advance. No one else had that rule, so he would draft rebukes, which we would hand to the chair, who would read them out against us. So it was a whole system. So this is what Emma Riley revealed. The emails reveal something else. The emails reveal additional things. That Eric Tistonet, when I had a strange incident where I was arrested under false identity, I was passing through a, a suburb of Boston. Someone was murdered. A very tragic murder happened, and and people, the townsfolk, were nervous. I was somewhere in a restaurant, getting changed for ahead of a meeting. Kids got nervous. They thought I was the murderer. It was a brief arrest. I was. They apologized later. Paid money in compensation. The restaurant paid money in compensation. But the town issued a full apology. It was a mistaken arrest. These things happen. Eric Tistonet saw the news after it was known that it was false, and he said, "This is wonderful. This is amazing." And he writes about.、It. He's. This is this. You made my day. This is wonderful. Share the news. He tells his staff. He says he writes it to 50 Human Rights Council staff. He says, as we talked about in our recent staff meeting, someone should go to an internet cafe. Don't do it at the UN. Go to an internet cafe anonymously. Upload this information. Post it near his videos. Okay. This this was in 2007, so it's right after my video、uh, of calling out the council. Post this information near his videos. He wants to smear me. He tells his UN Human Rights Council staff, human rights lawyers, to. Smear me with information he knows to be false online. He also says, "Wouldn't it be great if there'll ever be an Interpol arrest warrant against Hillel Noyer?" Normally, we object to them because they're frivolous. These regimes put up these arrest warrants, but in this case, maybe we'll forget our usual policy and we'll have UN security physically 
you know, arrest Hillel. And there was a picture of me being arrested in Boston. And his colleagues share emails. They go, wouldn't this be great if UN security could do the same to Hillel? So we have somebody who's made a multi-decade long career being a supposed human rights activist and lawyer who publishes books on the topics of human rights, essentially celebrating a false arrest, fantasizing about silencing his critics, consorting with dictatorial regimes in order to harass dissidents, and manipulating the rules of the United Nations bureaucracy in the hopes of shutting out an organization critical of his commission's work. Is critical that- of his commission's work and a group that is known for bringing dissidents to speak. You know, McGill University acknowledged that we have something called the Geneva Summit for Human Rights and Democracy, right. which has become a voice for the voiceless. Whether at our Geneva Summit, part of it takes place at the United Nations, or at the Human Rights Council, we are bringing dozens and dozens, hundreds of dissidents, former political prisoners from China, Russia, Cuba, Pakistan, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, Syria, victims of ISIS, to testify before the world. And when he shuts us down, when he shuts down 30 out of 31 speeches, that means people like Leopoldo Lopez, like Vladimir Karamorza, like Yang Jan Lee, like Rosemaria Paya, like Masi Alinejad, people that we bring to speak at the United Nations, we can't speak. And he wins favor from dictatorships. I should note that in March of 2023, a few months ago, the Venezuelan dictatorship, the Maduro regime, filed an official letter, three-page letter, saying that UN Watch brought Leopoldo Lopez to speak. Terrible thing. This group, UN Watch, is an evil group. I'm paraphrasing. And we need to look into suspending their status, meaning to shut them down of the UN. So this is not the first time. So when Eric Tistunez shuts us down, he also shuts down our ability to give a platform to dissidents and wins favor from all the powerful dictatorships who sit on the Human Rights Council. China's on the Human Rights Council. Cuba's on the Human Rights Council. So this isn't just a moral failure of one human rights uh, lawyer gone bad. This is kind of baked into the way the UN bureaucracy works because the reason he's been able to survive in that bureaucracy for 30 years is precisely by doing these things. It's not just a question of his own, you know, shortcomings as a humanitarian or even as a professional. The system rewards someone who will squeeze out the voice of truth. Okay, so we get... And I have to say, one other thing is that we've been complaining about him first quietly in 2021. We cc'd various democracies. So at this point now, we have to ask what the democracies are doing. So this, we brought us to 2021. From 2021, kind of a suspicion and an obvious pattern is now out in public. We know what's going on. It's on the BBC. It's profiled at length in Le Monde. Uh, Emma Riley herself has her own website on all of this. There's no longer a, a question of, of what's happening. What happens then? Is there at least an effort to now open some more slots to UN Watch to make it a bit less explicit? Or does it actually get even worse? And what do you do once all this is now public knowledge in the last two years? So in October, we filed a complaint, and really all this became public. October 2022. October 2022. Everything that we, that you and I talked about just now became public. Before that, it, it wasn't really public. So we publicized these leaked emails about how he plots, evil plots against us and tells his staff to do illegal, you know, criminal things. He uh, describes uh, the U.S. puppet masters of the U.S. delegation. That's in her, in her testimony. In, yeah, sorry. In, in, in Emma Riley's yeah. testimony, she says he would often have things that had sort of anti-Semitic tropes, that Hill Neuer is the puppet master of what the U.S. does, and, but we're the puppet masters of everything that happens, and all kinds of nasty things that he says about us and targets us. So all this comes out. We file a complaint. I write to the Secretary General, 25-page complaint, supported by witness testimony of Eric Tistunez, colleague and employee, Emma Riley, who sat on the podium with him. You can watch the videos. She says exactly what he did to manipulate speakers' lists against us. We put in the evidence of the speakers' list showing how we get one out of 31 speeches. No one else gets that. Other groups are getting 20 times more than we get, and 
I've been around for 20 years. I know how the system works. Eric was, was sort of so cynical in one of the letters from the UN. He wrote, well, you know, I have to remind you, you need to be early and, and, and register early. We register on the dot. We have videos of us registering on the dot. So it's really very cynical of him to say that. So we put all this out there. We write to the Secretary General and we say, this is your top official of the Human Rights Council. He's part of the UN Secretariat. He answers to the High Commissioner, ultimately to the Secretary General. And we say, you need to investigate him and put a stop to this. This is in October. And what has happened since? Nothing. So nine months later, nothing has happened. We received confirmation in October from Assistant UN Secretary General Martha Helena Lopez, if I'm getting the name right, saying, we received your document and it shall be reviewed as per internal procedures. I don't know what those procedures are, but nothing has happened. Nine months later, nothing has happened. Worse, he's doing it again. We're recording this now in July 2023. We're in the middle of the 53rd session of the Human Rights Council, a four-week session. Once again, we are being denied the right to speak. We requested to speak 10 times. We got one out of 10, so he's giving one, not to say that there's nothing. But other groups are getting you know, 20 speeches. Amnesty got 20 speeches. They're very good to Eric Distunet. We're getting only one. So once again, despite all of it being public, despite requesting this investigation by the Secretary General, he feels so much hubris, arrogance, and impunity that he's doing it again. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. What could the Secretary General do? I mean, if Secretary General were taken sus- seriously, what? Sus- based on the evidence is clear. It hasn't been refuted. There's emails of him plotting, doing illegal things against an NGO telling his staff to do it, he should be suspended. I mean, the normal thing, he should be suspended. And I want to make clear, you know, we recently recorded a video of how the Islamic Republic of Iran did an exhibition at the UN, a women's fashion exhibition. The whole thing was Orwellian and absurd. And I said, here I am at the Human Rights Council. Here's video of this absurd exhibition. Apparently, Iran made a complaint. Three days later, I got a very nasty email from the UN saying, watch out. You're not allowed to record videos inside the UN. It's a breach of procedures. Three days later, uh, no substantiation, no investigation. You breach the rule, you do it again, you're in big trouble, okay? Three days later, contrast with nine months later of all the evidence being submitted, as far as I know, nothing's happened. It's disgraceful. And what about the position of some of the member states? Are any of the, the delegations of some of the democratic states aware of this now that there's been a formal complaint? Have you had any kind of interest uh, in this case from member states, particularly the major democratic ones? On a number of occasions, we have cc'd the democracies when we complained over the past few years, the major democracies. I'm not going to mention names of countries, but we, we did approach a number of countries directly. Other countries know about it very well. I don't know what they've done. I'm disappointed. Our democracies are paying for Eric Tistunay. We are paying tens of millions of dollars. Every country is paying into the UN Human Rights Office. America is a member of the Human Rights Council. France, Britain, Germany are regular members of the Human Rights Council, the Netherlands. This is happening, at this point it's happening in their name. He's the staff of the Human Rights Council. So he's being paid by the democracies and other countries. He's acting in the name of the full Human Rights Council. They need to act. And if they don't, it's legitimate to ask why we're funding this body. What about the other NGOs that are with you there? Have any of them taken a position on this? Well, we just had a 100 Human rights activists and NGOs have just signed an appeal. Some of the most famous human rights activists in the world, a number of whom we've invited to speak. They come from Turkey. They come from Zimbabwe, from Venezuela. They have urged the Secretary General to investigate. They express support and solidarity for UN Watch and about 50 NGOs from around the world. Not some of these groups that are part of Eric Tistunez's privileged group. They have not signed, but other NGOs from around the world, more than 50, have signed. 
well, we'll wait to see if anybody else uh, takes up the mantle of this uh, and uh, Maybe uh, we'll be surprised, and tomorrow we'll find out that there's a more serious review happening uh, in the Secretary General's office. We hope so. I'll mention there's a petition. It already has more than 3,000 signatures. Uh, it just came out. Folks, if you want to help at home so that the UN will stop harassing, persecuting, and trying to silence UN Watch, please sign our petition. You can see it in the description for this post. Uh, you can also contact your member of parliament or member of Congress to ask what your country, what the United States, France, UK, Australia, Canada, wherever you are, What is your country doing to stop a criminal UN official, if I can use that term, but someone who's completely unethical, who's persecuting a human rights group? It's happening in the name of the UN. What is your democracy doing about it? You can help that way. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. For more information on longstanding efforts at the United Nations to censor and silence the work of UN Watch, go to unwatch.org slash abuse. Thank you for listening to Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. See you next time.